Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or families. It was September 28, 2004. On that Tuesday morning, I was studying at home for my upcoming sermon at Houston Spring Branch Church of the Nazarene. My wife, Jenny, was 31 weeks pregnant with our first child. We knew from earlier medical tests that the child Jenny was carrying was a girl. We had already chosen her name, Rebecca Lynn Rainey. Our house was almost ready for the day she should be born, but we knew we had nine more weeks to get the final details completed. On that Tuesday morning, toward the end of September, however, we were not ready for what would occur. In the mid-morning, Jenny called me from another room. She had started to bleed. We quickly called her doctor, who instructed us to go immediately to the emergency room. On the way to the hospital, I made one phone call to a close friend to ask him to pray. Once we arrived at the hospital, we were soon taken to the maternity floor. When the nurse saw Jenny and the obvious signs that something was wrong, she rushed out of the room. Soon our room was full of doctors and nurses. While I knew this was an emergency, I didn't fully understand what was happening. <clears throat> As the medical team was rolling Jenny in her bed down the hall, the doctor gave me a set of scrubs and said, please put these on so you can come in the room when your baby's born. I was shocked and a bit embarrassed by my lack of understanding of what was happening around me. I said, the baby's gonna be born today? As we walked toward the delivery room, I made two more phone calls to both sets of grandparents. Our time for waiting was over. Becca was coming, ready or not. Becca was born that morning, nine weeks early. She was a whopping three pounds, three ounces. She was healthy, but very small. 30 days later, we took our first child, Becca, from the neonatal intensive care unit to our home in Houston, Texas. Today, Becca's a freshman in college with no issues from her early birth. But as easy it is for me to talk about all day about my daughter, Becca, this week's lesson is not about Becca. The lesson is about another family whose waiting was also over. 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel, the time had fully come for God's long-awaited Messiah to arrive and deliver his people from the tyranny of sin and the grip of death. And certainly, Mary's time had also fully come to give birth to the son who had been growing inside her womb. Jesus, the son of God, was born that first Christmas morning. Here's how the gospel according to Luke describes that special day in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Luke's gospel set the birth of Jesus during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Luke chapter two, verse one says that he issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. For Israel at the time of Jesus, both Caesar Augustus and the census were painful reminders of the Roman rule that dominated them. The census would publicly register one's name, occupation, property, and family. No doubt the census was intended to levy heavy taxes on the Jewish people. The beginning of Jesus' story is highlighting the reality of a subservient people longing for deliverance. Let's take a moment to recall the prophecy found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Micah prophesied 700 years before Jesus' birth that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. You might remember the angel Gabriel also mentioned this when he spoke to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. The Lord God will give Jesus the throne of his father, 
David. The census from Caesar Augustus took Joseph, a descendant of David, from the city of Nazareth to Bethlehem, the town of David. Notice that Caesar Augustus was unknowingly serving God's purpose by setting the scene for the birth of the true savior of the world. It was his de decree through the Roman government that led to the prophecy of Micah being fulfilled. You see, God is able to make to take even difficult circumstances in our lives and use them for his divine purpose. The census drew everyone to their ancestral town. This compelled Joseph to travel to Bethlehem. Women were not required to appear in person for such a census, but Mary went with Joseph, likely due to the approaching birth of her child. As we mentioned in last week's lesson, Bethlehem, which is about five miles south of Jerusalem, was about 90 miles from Nazareth. Such a trip would have taken travelers several days to walk, and Mary's pregnancy in its last month would have slowed the journey even more. We learn in verse 7 that she wrapped Jesus in cloths and placed him in a manger. Mary did for Jesus what any ancient Near Eastern mother would have done for a newborn baby, wrapped her baby in cloths. What is peculiar here is that Mary placed him in a manger or a feeding trough for animals. Given the great number of travelers, Bethlehem was crowded and all of the guest rooms filled. So Jesus, the King of Kings, was born where animals were housed. We so often make this picture of the manger scene look so beautiful. The scene, however, would have been terribly dirty for the birth of a new baby. The humble circumstances of the birth of Jesus contrast with the greatness of this baby, the Messiah and Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus truly emptied himself and entered this world in humility and vulnerability. Not only was Jesus humble in his coming to this earth, but the people who first heard of his arrival were ordinary people performing common labor. The birth of Jesus was announced by an angel, but the announcement was not made in the temple courts or in the halls of power. Among the first to hear the good news of the Savior's birth were the shepherds out in the fields near Bethlehem. The message of salvation comes to those who are humble and lowly. As the song of Mary proclaimed in Luke chapter 1, verse 51 to 53, there is a great reversal that occurs in God's redemptive work. The God of Israel upholds the cause of the humble and brings down the proud. In scripture, shepherds hold a very significant place in Israelite history. You might remember that David, Israel's greatest king, was first a shepherd from Bethlehem. God, as told by the prophets of the Old Testament, took the role of the shepherd of Israel. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, 
I am the good shepherd. Isn't it meaningful that shepherds were the first to hear about their arrival of the good shepherd? And think about this. Those who watch over flocks were the first to receive news of the birth of the Lamb of God. Luke chapter 2 verse 9 describes the third angelic appearance in Luke's gospel. An angel appeared to the shepherds. When the angel appeared to them, the scripture says the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. These shepherds would likely have been aware that in the scriptures, the glory of the Lord typically indicated God's presence in the tabernacle or the temple. Such a presence would have filled them not only with awe, but also with dread of what might what it might mean. The shepherds who fought off lions from their flocks were terrified by the angel and the glory of the Lord. In other, in, in words that echoed Gabriel's encouragement to Zechariah and Mary, this angel also said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. The angel was not bringing bad news. Instead, he was bringing good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. In one sentence, verse 11, Luke gives three titles for Jesus, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. As Savior, he will deliver people from the power of sin and death. As Messiah, he is the anointed one who fulfills the promises of God, serving as prophet, priest, and king. And as Lord, he is the one who reigns over all, de deserving our absolute allegiance. These titles are given to Jesus by the angel, unlike titles given to Caesar Augustus by himself. With the three visits of by angels so far in Luke, each angel mentions a sign as a witness to the truth of what has been said. Zechariah's becoming mute until the birth of John, his son, was a sign. Elizabeth's pregnancy in her old age was a sign. And here in Luke chapter 2, a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger is a sign. Interestingly, the gospel writer John used Jesus' miracles as signs throughout his gospel. Each miracle pointed to who Jesus truly was. I would suggest to you today that every life transformed by the power of God in Christ is a modern day sign for the world to know Jesus. As we move into Luke chapter 2 verse 13, the one angel who had been speaking to the shepherds was suddenly surrounded by a great company of the heavenly host praising God. The Hebrew behind the use of the word host most frequently alludes to a human army. The Greek word for host here in Luke chapter 2 verse 13 is stradia, which is the word for army. I love the way Eugene Peterson translated the Messiah, uh, the message for the God of hosts. Peterson calls him the God of the angel armies, the God of hosts. The army of angels gathered around the shepherds 
and praised God and declared peace to who to those on whom his favor rests. Verse 14. The Roman Empire experienced a 200-year period from 27 BC to 180 AD of unprecedented peace and prosperity. The period is known as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But in contrast to the reign of Caesar, God's kingdom revealed in Christ as one of true peace. The peace of the emperor was an outward one enforced through power and threat. While it maintained order, it had no ability to bring true peace or reconciliation to the hearts and lives of its citizens. The peace that Jesus offers is a gift grounded in right relationship with God, others, and ourselves. And it is not subject to the shifting circumstances of life. All those who recognize and submit to the reign and rule of Christ will know this favor and peace. Similar to Mary's prompt action after the angel's visit, the shepherds hurried off to see the sign given to them. Verse 16 says that they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. The order of Mary and Joseph's name is interesting here. In ancient customs, social significance determined the order of listing names. The name of the male person almost always comes first. Here, Mary's name comes before Joseph's, showing her importance. The joy that resulted from the Messiah's birth produced both outward and inward responses. The outward response is seen by the shepherds. Remember, they were the first recipients of the good news of the birth of Jesus. The humble, ordinary shepherds became the first evangelists to announce the birth of Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord, as they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. The amazement and joy they experienced in their encounter with the Messiah could not be contained, but was shared with others who were, who were in turn amazed, says verse 19. Our response to the birth of Jesus from 2,000 years ago and his birth in our hearts in more recent years should be similar to these shepherds. We should be compelled in our inner spirit by the love of Christ to share the good news with everyone we meet. The inward response to the Messiah's birth is seen in Mary. Luke chapter 2 verse 9 says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. God's revelation of grace led her to reflection and wonder with joy and amazement taking root deep in her own spirit. The immense joy and peace we discover in our encounter with the Messiah should lead to inner reflection and holy gratitude. So this Christmas, let us respond to Christ's birth both inwardly and outwardly. Let us treasure up in our hearts all these things God has done in us through Christ. But let us also spread the word concerning what has been told to us about this child. Ponder the things of God in our heart 
witness to his grace to everyone in the world. Our passage for this week ends with the shepherds following the lead of the heavenly host. The shepherds were quick to glorify and praise God for what they had seen and heard. Are you ready to glorify and praise him this Christmas season? Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.